Good morning. Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, the 10th chapter, the 14th to the 33rd verse. The reading is also in your bulletin. If you are able, please stand for the reading. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to the sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is this not the cup of thanksgiving for which we thank uh, participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we shall for we share the, the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar. Do I mean then that food sacrificed to an idol is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No, but sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in the in both the Lord's table and the table of the demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? I have the right to do anything you say, but do not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I am referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the mill with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of, some, because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. The, uh, the tenth chapter. Yes. Um, so we read there, do you not know the 24th verse, starting at the 24th verse of the ninth chapter, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so 
that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Um, Paul is clear. I don't run aimlessly, and I don't throw air punches. I live my life with a clear purpose and meaning. It's not because my daughter's here, but I don't eat these, 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 these granola bars and drink these shakes just because I like granola bars and drink shakes. There's a purpose to what I am doing. I, there, there's a reason why I do, I, I, I'm surprised, so to speak, you know, uh, better weight loss, you know, just physical fitness and all of that. But, 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 but Paul is saying, I don't waste, I've got just this much time. Whatever that is, be it a comma or a, or a long dash, as I share at each home going, the, co the comma denominator is, it's finite. Whatever that length is, it's finite. It doesn't go on. There's no arrow on the end of that, that dash that, that extends that in mathematical terms, it says, well, it goes on to infinity. No, it doesn't. The opportunity we have to do what we do is, is finite. It's fixed. I like how one theologian put it. Um, we don't need life. We don't need life coaches. Nothing wrong with life coaches as much as we need spiritual transformation. See, a lot of times we'll focus on life coaches. It's like, no, actually what, what's, in, what's needed is spiritual transformation. Uh, because with transformation, and I'm talking about real transformation, not, not pseudo, not uh, real transformation, life comes into focus. So that's why then Paul writes, and we'll go through this very quickly, for I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us, on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So what is Paul doing? He's reminding the church that as born-again believers in Jesus Christ, you've been delivered from the slavery of sin. But, but guess what? The, so were those that were delivered, so to speak, from the bondage of sin, the, the, those that were delivered uh, from Egyptian slavery. They had God in the form of a pillar of cloud and passed through the Red Sea, a type of, uh, a type of baptism. 
And as believers, we experience uh, a public declaration and the regeneration of baptism. Okay, they ate manna and quail uh, that God provided and drank water from the rock. And unless you miss it, unless you were just sleeping during that Bible study part, uh, Paul explicitly says that rock was Christ. And we eat the body and drink the blood of our Lord when we share the Lord's Supper. Now, again, I said before, I say now, Paul is not advocating adherence to Levitical law. He isn't saying, okay, you need to, you need to plant fields in this way, and you need to behave in this, in this early uh, 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 orientation, uh, theological orientation that God had laid down for the people. He's not saying that. Um, but he, what he, he said, but he, what he is saying, don't think that just because you're a part of this, this new thing called of the way, this Christian thing, that you are necessarily Christian by default. Just because you're an association doesn't make you born again. I shared before, I share now, Christian is as Christian does. Christian is as Christian does. That's why he says in the fifth, fifth verse, despite their association, despite being there, despite benefiting from the miracles and witnessing everything they experience, what does he say? God was not pleased with most of them. Okay, so how displeased was he? Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. I'd say he was pretty displeased. He didn't like what was going on. Uh, they suffered the consequences of bad choices, and they serve as examples for us to look at and to, uh, to follow, to keep us from doing evil. So with this brief history lesson, Paul reminds them not to be idolaters. Don't commit sexual sin. Don't test Christ. Don't grumble. What are you saying, Pastor Meeks? What I'm saying is God hated sin in the Old Testament. He hated it in the first century. And guess what? He hates it in the 21st century. God hates sins. So the Corinthians were of the belief that association was enough, that going through uh, whatever the equivalent of a membership class might be uh, and participating in a ministry or two or three uh, was proof that they had a, a genuine relationship uh, with God. And once I have my ticket, so to speak, uh, I pretty much can do anything and everything I want, and nothing could be further from the truth. So wonderfully, Paul points us to the one and the only one who was able to keep us from being tempted beyond what we can bear. So today we want to pick up at the 14th verse of the 10th chapter where we read, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Transitional conjunction, translated therefore, Paul addresses the church with that tender term of endearment, dear friends, and gives a practical response to all the, if you will, the negativity, the bad news that, that he just unpacked, uh, reminding them of what happened to the Jews that were delivered from Egypt. And like he did in the sixth chapter, you remember, just go back to the sixth chapter, uh, uh, when he spoke concerning sexual immorality, he says to flee, to escape from idolatry. I hear you, and I, I hear you. It's like, I know some of you are already thinking, check, got this. I don't bow down to golden calves. So I'm good. Keep waiting. Uh, 
doesn't it seem to apply to me? Let's just look at a simple dictionary definition of the word uh, idolatry. Uh, it's a noun. First is worship of idols. Second definition, extreme admiration or reverence. An idol is something. It's anything we give extreme admiration or reverence to. Now, I don't have time, and this isn't the place, to discuss the nuances of what's extreme. But let's put it in the context for today. Uh, right off the bat, God made it clear to those he had redeemed. Uh, if you go back to the 20th chapter of the book of Exodus, I love this part where he, he's, he's basically introducing himself to the cult. And he says, uh, hello, everybody. This is Mark's translation. But in a big booming voice from a mountain and then all types of extra effects. I'm the one who got your fat out of the fire. I know it doesn't quite read that way, but essentially that's what he's saying. In case you thought you just showed up in the desert and it was, you were lucky, it was the lottery of life, you worked really hard to escape the Egyptians, you pulled yourself up by your sandal straps. He's saying, I'm the man. I know he's not a man, he's a God, but you, you get what I'm saying. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Point one, you shall have no other gods before me. Period, full stop. That's not very confusing. That's very clear. Uh, let me break it down a little bit. Point two. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love and keep my commandments. Uh, the first two directives, the commands, make clear the primacy God wants and sets aside for himself. But an idol is anything that supersedes that relationship. Anything. Anything. So you, 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 it, it could be, I would submit, this is just me, I would submit idolatry is more prevalent today than it was then. There is more idolatry going on now, much more now than it was then. We just don't look at it because our mind is bent towards it's a golden calf. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a wooden interpretation. That's a wooden look at uh, uh, what idolatry is. Uh, it's more prevalent. I think it's more insidious in its subtlety uh, than it was in the desert. Uh, then it was a golden calf. Now it could be a, m a million things. It's just, you want me to call the roll? I mean, you ought to know yourself. Materialism, pantheism, pride, ego, self, others, including family. We can, we can set up uh, our, 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 our spouse as idols. Can't breathe. 
without my spouse. Uh, if spouse says go to church, we go to church. Spouse says stay home, we stay home. And I don't mean, uh, I don't mean church in the, in the form of the doors are open, you come in, but there's nothing wrong with that. But, but it supersedes the relationship that God has set aside for himself. That's why Paul uses flee in the present active imperative in the 14th verse. Uh, uh, my brothers, flee from idolatry. Uh, he's attempting to convey the extreme importance that idolatry is nothing to play with. It's key to understanding both who we are and whose we are. So he goes on to say, I speak to sensible people. Almost rhetorical. Uh, Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf. We, who are many, are one body, for we all share the one loaf. Okay, so there are at least, you like these, at least two key things he presents from these verses. One is that we are part of a community of faith that finds its centrality in Christ. We are part of a community of faith where the central thing, the central and primary and pretty much the only thing is the center being Christ. See, recall with the, in the sixth chapter, for you theologians, you, you good Bible study students, in the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John, uh, this is what Jesus said to the crowd that was following him. This is what Jesus said. Uh, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. The one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna, and guess what? They died. But whoever feeds, it, feeds on this bread will live forever. So what do you think the response was? You might think that it's like, that was wonderful. Boy, oh boy, I want, I want what he's offering. No. Uh, many stopped coming, stopped following, because, and I quote, it was a hard thing to say. That was, that, was, that was too much, if you will, to digest. And I know that some have, have tripped and thought that, oh, well, he's advocating a type of cannibalism, uh, you know, eating flesh and drinking blood. But I think most of them really understood the, the spiritual subtlety that he was laying down. And it's like, come on now. It's like, is he really like, here, uh, shave off a few, few layers of, of epidermis? So uh, we, it's like, no, he's not, no. But what he was doing was drawing a very bright and clear line between the Father and himself, between what happened in the desert and what's happening now. Your forefathers, who you like to claim are your forefathers, uh, they, 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 they did what they did, but guess what? They were disobedient and they died. Now, you want to do, different? do different? You want to do better? Then you need to eat my flesh. You need to drink my blood and you will live forever. And then and now... That was a bit too much. So that's the first thing, the centrality of Christ. The second thing was, the second thing is, excuse me, is being part of a community means 
being part of a community. I know that was profound. <laughs> being part of a community means being part of a community. Uh, that is, we, they, share uh, from the same one body of Christ. And I can't stress enough, I, I, I say it often, uh, this has huge implication in terms of worship, uh, dysfunction, health, uh, everything. On, the, on, the, on the, this past week, when we were at the, at the, at the conference in Burlingame, I had the worst head cold. I, I, it, just, it was painful. Uh, my head just throbbed. I was just post-nasal drip the whole nine yards. It, funny thing about that, it didn't stop right there. It affected my whole body. My whole body hurt. And, and not only did my whole body hurt, uh, my ability to interact with my wife and with others, that was affected. It was just one, one little head cold on the left side of my, my sinus cavity or whatever. It affected my whole community. What am I saying? In the same way, we're a part of a community. And so when one thing doesn't work, it affects more than what you think. Trust me, I know. I, I have to deal with the, the, the aftermath. Well, well, pastor, this went down. Oh, well, in addressing that, then it's going to affect this, it's going to affect this, it's going to affect this, it's going to affect this. That's what it means to be a part of a community. You know how the song goes. The knee bones connected to the hip, uh, uh, leg bone, leg bones connected to the hip bone, and, and you know, it's a, it, we're all connected. Uh, so since we draw our life from Christ, not idolism, and because we are a part of an interconnected and dependent part of a whole, what we do individually impacts everyone communally. And we can infer from this, uh, from this whole text that the church in Corinth was being impacted more by the community than the community was being impacted by the church. Uh, idolatry then and idolatry now permeates the entire culture from the economy to their beliefs. That's why Paul continues in the 18th verse, consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean then that food sacrificed to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to, partic to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Remember, he said he was a jealous God. Are we stronger than he? See, Paul is breaking down how Christians should operate in a culture that is dominated by pagan idolatry with all of its subtlety uh, and its pseudo-spirituality. So here in the 18th and, 20, 18th and 22nd verses, what he's saying essentially is oil and water don't mix. Oil and water, they just don't mix. You cannot be part of the body of Christ and participate in pagan festivals. You can't say, I'm, I'm his, and at the same time behave in such a way that a reasonable person wouldn't be able to look, and it's like, you don't look any different. You, 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 you say the same things, you wear the same things, you act the same things, you drink the same things, you eat the same things. What distinguishes you from everybody else? 
well, I love the Lord. Well, let the rest of your body know that. You know, it's just like there's, 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 the Christian is as Christian does. At some point, our behavior has to line up with our faith, one way or the other, uh, either a pagan faith or a Christian faith. So Paul anticipates what you may be thinking, what Corinthians then and what Corinthians now might be tempted to say. Uh, I have the right to do anything. I'm a, I'm a born-again man, you know? Uh, you say, Paul says, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but everything is not constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. There go. We're back to that community thing. Oh, man. So I, when, I, when I behave, I have to worry about what Erica thinks? You, you, I have to worry about uh, how I behave. Uh, I have to think about the impact it has on, on Josh. I, no, I just want to do me. I'm sorry, that's, that's not what you signed up for. That's not what you signed up for. It's, what, what I do affects Jenny. What I do affects Cyrus. What I do affects DeAndre and, 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 and Josh. It, it, what I do affects everybody. And honestly... Honestly, that's what I keep in mind in, in those quiet times when I, you know, you could do any number of things that no one would know about, you know? It's like, no, no. If, if I go down that path, if I start to even begin to entertain those things, oh no, it, the, the ramifications are collateral and they're big, they're huge. And it's just not me, it's you. It's you. We are all part of community. As Paul wrote to the church at Galatia, I no longer live, but it's the Christ in me that does. So Paul admonishes against participating in worldly festivals where food and idolatry are intertwined, but makes a distinction in verse 25. Eat anything sold in the market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Wait a minute now, wait a minute. He's quoting the 24th Psalm, and Paul says, essentially, this is Mark's translation, you won't have it in your, in, on, your, on your device. Uh, if you see a sale of pagan meat at Safeway, go for it. If there's a sale for, with pagan meat at Safeway, go for it, because it don't mean nothing, so long it's not rancid, or those, those muffins with the, the sweet spots, the savory spots on them. You know, it's just like, it's, it's, it's like, no, no, if it's, if it's good to eat, eat it. Well, but it was offered to an idol. You know idols don't have any effect. What's an idol? It was offered to uh, uh, the god of uh, Timbuktu or whatever. So, is it well done? Does it got the right amount of fat on it? Can I have a slice, please? Yes, yes, give me two pounds of that. But, as he goes on, if an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. Just be gracious, just eat the food. You know, don't, 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 don't. Well, you know, I'm kind of holy, you know. Uh, you know uh, I, he says, eat the food, unless someone says to you, well, you know, Pastor Mark, uh, right before you came, uh, we offered this as a pagan sacrifice. Uh, then don't eat it. 
This is like so clear, so plain. This just, just makes perfect sense. Uh, uh, then don't eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. Uh, for what is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? Uh, if you happen to eat, be eating with a non-believer, use your spiritual discretion. If someone says the, the steak I'm getting ready to eat was offered to idols, say thank you, I'll have the salad. Thank you, thank, thank you very much. But that, that 29th and 30th verses can seem a, a little odd and gnarly to unwind in this context, and that's why I like how the message version uh, attempts to unpack it, uh, these, two, these two verses. But except for these special cases, I'm not gonna walk around on eggshells, spiritual eggshells, if you will, worrying about what some small-minded people might say. I'm going to stride free and easy, knowing that what our large-minded master has already said. If I eat what is served to me, Grateful to God for what is on the table, how can I worry about what someone will say? I thank God for it, and I blessed it. And I'm going to eat it, and I'm going to enjoy it. But I need to worry about those that are around me. It's not just for me to consume. That's why if I get a sale on pagan meat at Safeway, I can eat it in my home. Nobody cares. I'm satisfied. But if I'm in a community and there's other things going on, I need to be concerned about how that's going to impact you. And don't just focus on food or, or drink for that matter, although maybe you should, uh, but, but, but focus on what is the witness I'm presenting to others. Amen. Hey, you party like it's 1999, uh, just like everybody else. It's just like, what separates you from everybody else? They party, I party. Hey, I get down and then, you know, it's, I was practicing this. I really was. E.W. is not here. Oh, okay. I'm closing. Thankfully, I'm closing. Uh, I was practicing. Gail will be my witness. I said, well, what, what do you think, honey? Uh, uh, Paul concludes his discussion uh, by writing, this is, this is the capstone. This is the period on, a, on a, an incredibly great sentence. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Practical, wise direction and on how to operate in a pagan, sin-filled world. What would things look like if, I, if everything I did, my choices, my conversation, my behavior was done exclusively for the glory of God? Yeah. I know, Pastor, you are going way overboard. What would my Facebook posts look like if they were posted with the eye towards exalting Christ? What would they look like? I would submit many of us would be off Facebook because we wouldn't have anything to offer because a lot of what's posited is so inward focused. It's not exalting him. Oh, everything? I just read the text. I just read the text. Whether you eat, drink, 
Facebook post, oh, it didn't say that. But it said, whatever you do, how big is that? Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. I know, I know. Wait, boy, you just suit. Look, I like to have fun with most of them. That's why I practice. <laughs> what would my relationship with my spouse look like if I, if I saw him or her with an eye towards giving glory to God? What would my relationship with my children look like if I behaved and operate with an eye towards doing everything for the glory of God? How would my neighbors re respond to a behavior that is oriented towards giving glory and honor to God? How would people, people on your job might fall out of their chair if you started behaving in a way, it's like, what's gotten into Mark? He's trying to give all the glory and honor to God. He doesn't come in and uh, you know, run for the coffee pot because he's pretty, pretty surly before he gets that first cup. It's like, no, I want to glorify God in everything I say and do. That actually, the first verse of the 11th chapter better fits with this portion of scripture, this pericope, if you will, and summarizes all of Paul's direction. Uh, and it says, follow me as I follow Christ. Everything that he has said to 11.1. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Okay, here's the question. Here's a $64,000 question, and I am done. Uh, what example are we leaving? What example are we leaving? When, 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 when the, the dash ends on that right-hand side of the dash, when, when, it, when it ends, what will they say on what's left, uh, to, to the left? What, what will be said? What was the example? Uh, oh, he was a good engineer, built a few buildings, managed a team. Yeah, he was an okay boss. You know, I, I, I've given the, the example before. Um, I don't care how dark the space, and we live in some very dark space, but no matter how small the light, the light always wins. I don't care how dark it is. I really, it, it could be pitch black, and you walk in there with a match, guess what? You're going to see the match. You will always, light always beats Darkness. Uh, seem like I'm always uh, <laughs> elevators and me. I don't know. And this past week at this conference, uh, Sister Meeks, she wasn't with me, so she can't verify this. But trust me, it's true. Uh, just like I know how to dance. I just uh, I was in an elevator, and uh, the airline employees. Uh, I don't know if they were, he was a pilot or a steward or what. Didn't matter. But he had the uni on. And they were joking and all, and uh, and I just, I you know, I just smiled and I just just exchanged some just pleasantries, and uh, I didn't think I said or did anything, 
and uh, we got off on the same floor, and he said, uh, I don't know what it is about you, but uh, you have a, he called it an aura. Uh, I don't know, that's what he called it. You have a special aura. He said, uh, you seem really nice. I said, well, thank you. Are you, are you hitting on me? What's, what's it? <laughs> he said, uh, uh, and then, then we just struck up a conversation. And he said, uh, you know, when I travel, you know, I try and give words of encouragement to people, you know, particularly those, obviously, travel is stressful and blah, 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 and all that. And he gave me some, some things, which I've since tossed. But I, it was, what am I saying? Because I'm not, there is no boast in me, because I wasn't even trying to be spiritual. I was just trying to go from floor one to floor four. That's all I was doing. That's all I was doing. Uh, you know, sometimes we can try and be spiritual, you know, the cross, the Bible, and all that, and the pious look. But uh, no, that wasn't... <laughs> This wasn't that time. This was just going about my business. And he said what he said. He gave me some things. And I, I appreciate what he gave me because it was the best attempt that the world could muster at affirming some level of spiritual peace. What am I saying? Light always beats darkness. Always. 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 See, there's a, there's a, there's, there's a, we don't sing it. I, this uh, school, that a private Christian school I went to in Bakersfield. Uh, I learned the song a long time ago. Um, and it's called, Brighten the Corner Where You Are. Brighten the corner where you are. Brighten the corner where you are. Someone far from harbor, you can guide across the bar. You know, they're talking about ships and all that stuff. Brighten the corner where you are. Wherever God has placed you, it is not by accident. You are where you are by divine appointment. Now, you may be, that may be the terminal point, or it could be a transition point to the next step. But wherever God has you, he has you there for a reason. And what's our job? If we could pull it off, we're salt and we're light. Let's pray.